The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. All year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. It is the Chuck Oliver Show for Friday. Heath in for Chuck today. Chuck will hopefully be back feeling better with the throw, give him some problems, but hopefully feeling better on Monday, ready to go for the day of the national championship game. In the meantime, we're holding it down right here, and there's a lot going on. And yesterday, had a story break, and this is exactly how, if you are a college football fan, you probably want things to go. Just a very quick, clean process. We've made a move. We know exactly what we're doing is the next step. Bang, here's your answer. And to talk about that and where things stand right now with the Oklahoma Sooners is Eddie Radosevich. He joins us right now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Eddie, how are you? Heath, what's going on? Yeah, it's a uh, it's never a dull day on the Oklahoma Pete and Thursday proved to be true. And uh, Eddie is with not only the franchise radio there in Oklahoma, but also Sooners Scoop. Dot com and, and Eddie, I saw this today. Apparently, somebody on the Sooner Scoop message board called the shot on what happened yesterday to an extent, which is uh, Brett Venables makes a move with his defensive coordinator spot, Ted Roof, out, and uh, a new guy coming in that a lot of people are not familiar with here in Zach Alley. So uh, I'll let you take it anywhere you want, whether or not you want to give credit to your, your message board poster or whether this was kind of out there in the wind. But for the rest of us, it kind of came out of nowhere yesterday. If there is one element of the uh, the Oklahoma fan base that is ready for the SEC, it would be the message board posters. Uh, I think that their uh, passion and fervor is uh, second to none. But, yeah, it, it was a surprising uh, move yesterday. I think it kind of goes back to last week when we were in San Antonio for the Alamo Bowl, and we're talking to Ted Roof. And, uh, you know, there had been some questions if Oklahoma was going to maybe go in a different direction. And as of last week, that – completely was not the plan and i think that you wake up yesterday or you find the news out late thursday afternoon that they were going to go in a different direction and uh you know i i think that it's kind of one of those things that we put up a hot board we put up names to know and the most obvious candidate is usually the one that you get right back to uh after you go through the uh, litany of guys and zach alley being uh basically a protege as we kind of continue to learn more about the jacksonville state defensive coordinator uh, I think that there's a comfort in uh, Brent Venables and what they want to be able to do defensively. You look at the guys that came are coming back in 2024 as Oklahoma makes the move into the SEC, and he's going to have some fun tools to use. I think that you know it's it, the, the jump from Jacksonville State to Oklahoma is going to be obvious, uh, but at the same time, I think that this big picture wise is a move that Brent Venables wants to make because it's a guy in Zach Alley that he trusts to run the defense. And I think that Brent, for the most part, as he moves into his third year in Norman, uh, has kind of looked at himself in the mirror a little bit as a head coach. And as responsible as Brent was for the defense, I think that that was kind of the thing that everybody knew over the first few years that he was calling the defense and Ted Roof was just almost kind of a centerpiece or a figurehead as the defensive coordinator. I think this is a move that, 
makes a lot of sense just in terms of game management and things that Brent needs to worry about from a head coaching perspective. So uh, there's a lot of people that are really excited about uh, back alley, and it's going to be certainly fascinating to see how Oklahoma moves into the SEC now with and new offense coordinator and Seth Luttrell, as well as the defensive side of the ball with Zach Alley. Yeah, look, Ted Roof must be an incredible guy. He must be a fantastic hang, great chemistry guy in the office, kind to women and puppies, but no fan base has ever been happy with Ted Roof, like ever. And he's worked <laughs> everywhere except for like Alaska at this point. So it was kind of a head-scratcher move when, when he went with Venables to be the guy. It sure. was sort of understood, all right, in the end, Whoever the coordinator is is going to be doing their interpretation of a song from the Brent Venables songbook. So is there a thought that maybe Allie can can add some things into the songbook because he's a protege in a way that a Ted Roof wasn't, that maybe he can do a better interpretation of it? Certainly. And I think that, you know, the, the steps that Oklahoma made in year two, as opposed to what they were in year one from the six and seven season, Defensively, it's night and day. It's night and day different from what it was under Lincoln Riley. Now, I think everybody kind of knows the uh, the beat out there on what Oklahoma has been defensively. While it was better in 2023, it's nowhere close to what Oklahoma fans feel like a defense should be in Norman. So, uh, you know, I, I think that it's exciting to know what Zach Alley and Brent Venables uh, working once again will be able to do uh, together. Uh, at the same time, I think that as, as important as recruiting is, getting younger at the linebacking coach position, uh, I think that it's going to be kind of fun to see what Zach Alley's going to be able to do uh, now relating more to players and being able to go get some of these highly ranked linebackers that Oklahoma's going to need to have if they want to uh, compete in the SEC. A lot of bowls didn't matter very much to people, but Oklahoma's mattered very much to Sooner fans because it was going to be that first look at Jackson Arnold starting a bowl game. And, and man, you got the full experience. You had the two early <laughs> interceptions. Then you had the big surge with with some touchdowns. Uh, by the end of the night, it, it's 26 of 45, 361, two TDs, three picks. What do you take away from that showing against Arizona for what it means for the future? I think there's a lot of people in Norman that want to focus on the second and third quarter when uh, Jackson Arnold looked like the guy that is going to be, uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel like will be the next Heisman hopeful out of Norman. And certainly there were expectations when he signed with Oklahoma out of Denton Geyer as, uh, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the country that certainly the future was his. Uh, You know, I think the Dylan Gabriel stuff that broke at the beginning of December, uh, you know, certainly kind of put all that to rest as far as, Jackson Arnold's going to be the face of the program moving forward on the offensive side of the football. And uh, I think, you know, it's obvious you can't make some of the mistakes that he did being thrown into the situation that he was with an offensive line that was pretty makeshift uh, for the bowl game because of opt-outs, because of uh, transfers. Uh, All things told at the end of the day, the future is very, very bright for Oklahoma, and especially at the quarterback position where I think some of the throws that he was able to – do on last Thursday night in San Antonio, it gives you reason to have a lot of hope for what this offense could be moving forward under Seth Luttrell. Now, the bad is certainly stuff that he's going to have to clean up. It's going to be mistakes that uh, you're going to have to live with as a freshman, uh, you know, certainly as a, as a sophomore next season and kind of his first uh, full duty. But at the same time, it was as advertised. I think that there's a lot of excitement uh, and for obvious reasons. Uh, about Jackson Arnold and the Oklahoma offense moving forward. Eddie Radosevich is with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show from Soonerscoop.com as well as radio there in Oklahoma. Eddie, um, 
are the Sooners ready to contend for the playoff? I won't worry about the SEC because, again, you aren't going to have to win the conference to, to make the playoff next year with a 12-team playoff. Knowing what you know about their schedule and what you know about this team, do you think they're at least a playoff contender-ready squad with what they have now, or do they need more? I might ride the fence and say they have enough talent in Norman to be able to get into a 12-team playoff. I think that the biggest thing for them is is moving forward into uh, you know what is going to be just an incredibly tough schedule in 2024. Uh, it, it's going to ha- it's going to be down to some of those swing games. What are you going to do in Oxford? What are you going to do down on the plains at Auburn? What are you going to do? Uh, you know, on the road at Missouri with an upstart program under Eli Drinkwitz. So, uh, you know, defensively, I think that this is a team that should resemble what I think a lot of people thought when Brent came to uh, Norman, that he was going to be able to turn this defense around. On paper, it's probably one of the better defenses Oklahoma's put on the field in maybe a decade. Uh, it, they have to get better on the defensive line and offensive line. I think it's probably just like everybody else across the country that if you really want to be a player, with the power programs, uh, you know, currently in uh, not only the SEC, but, you know, obviously in the Big Ten with Michigan and, and Washington, what they've been able to do, it starts up front. And I think that, you know, defensive line-wise, they're bringing in a recruiting class that, uh, you know, has probably garnered the attention of most Oklahoma fans as maybe the best defensive line group that they've brought in in 20 years. Uh, certainly, they're headed in the right direction on that side of the football, but I think they're like everybody else that are looking for difference makers on the offensive line that is going to have to uh, really kind of shore up some things moving forward if they truly want to take that next step into uh, you know a college football playoff or certainly competing to be one of the elite teams in the country. You mentioned Latrell moving up to offensive coordinator. That obviously was caused by the departure of Jeff Lebby to go to Mississippi State. We've got <laughs> listeners uh, in Mississippi for those folks who are still trying to form an opinion on what they're getting there in Starkville. Just uh, tell, them, tell them your thoughts on what Lebby is. Love Jeff Lebby. Love the hire for Mississippi State. Uh, the offense around here, I think everybody had been so used to Lincoln Riley and the literally historic offenses that he had with, uh, you know, obviously Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. Uh, it was just always kind of a 50-50. Half the fan base uh, hated him because you would look up and there would be some confusing play calls, uh, you know, in two of their three losses this year in Lawrence and Stillwater in back-to-back weeks. It was the defense that, uh, or the excuse me, it was the offense that kind of let the team down, and they weren't able to uh, move the football. But at the same time, I think Jeff Levy is a very bright mind. Uh, I loved what he did in going to get Michael Van Buren, who played well in the Under Armour game uh, on Wednesday. The future's bright, but you know I think it's probably going to be a battle of what Mississippi State has tried had to do over, uh, you know, really truly the course of uh, the program, and just in terms of. Uh, getting over that hump and really, truly being a contender. So I know he has his work cut out for him in Starkville, but uh, I think that ironically enough, I think there was a lot of people that appreciated what he was able to put together with an offense that ranked top five uh, in the country. But at the same time, I think moving forward, uh, people are really excited about Seth Luttrell taking over as offensive play caller. Eddie, I appreciate you making time for us. This is the first time I've spoken with you, so I just have to mention, by the way, the bit you did with the bus terminal when it was the Oklahoma <laughs> coaching search. If, if those of yeah. you who are listening don't remember this, 
Uh, everybody else, the joke was everybody else is at the airport and Eddie's staking out the bus terminal in case they're bringing in the coach, Fred Grayhound, was, was maybe the funniest I've laughed at any coaching search moment that wasn't some local TV reporter claiming Bill Belichick's going to take, like, the New Mexico job ever. So thank you for that because that was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it. They didn't give us enough time to uh, get to the bus stop with the defensive coordinator. Uh, they they brought him in on a uh, a speed train or something. That it happened rather quickly yesterday. But Heath, I appreciate it, man. Anytime. I appreciate that, Eddie Radosevich. Again, check him out soonerscoop.com and on the radio on the franchise there in Oklahoma. Uh, that is a look at what's going on. Normal. We will head to Auburn coming up in about uh, twenty minutes or so. Find out what the story is down there. On the other side, though. Out of all the talk about the quarterbacks, all the movement, you said Will Howard, for example, we talked about last hour with Timmy Hall. Um, there's one quarterback who now looks like maybe he's located his destination. And if the reports are true, man, this is wild that this is where the story is going to go next. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show. On Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Thank you for hanging out with me here on a Friday as we head into another busy weekend, including, of course, the buildup for the college football championship. I still don't feel like this works as well as it needs to. And I, I will be interested in seeing what they do with the timetable of an expanded playoff if they don't mess with the idea that, you know what, maybe this Monday night strategy is not the correct answer because. Even as big a deal as this is to you and to me as hardcore college football fans, the facts are there are a lot of people in this country who are as big an NFL fan as they are college or more so. And choosing to do this on the Monday after a weekend where all the NFL people are going to be constantly talking about uh, this coach or that coach is getting fired and this team or that team did or didn't make the playoffs, for the championship, you're not going to get much buildup. The teams arrive today. They'll do press conferences and things like that. Obviously, in Seattle, in Detroit, and the other markets in those areas, of course, those places will have wall-to-wall coverage. But if you're talking about nationally, the day before the game, is ESPN going to be going heavy on reporting on a game that they air? No, they're not. They're going to have a three-hour pregame show on the NFL in the morning. They're going to have NFL recaps later in the day. And that's, oh, yeah, and then also we got the National Championship of College Football tomorrow. I don't know if there's any way to tr- to create a true college football Super Bowl environment with hype all week long. I don't know if there's a way to do that because in the end, you're still going to be dealing with the big monster that is the NFL that eclipses all other pro sports as well as college sports. And so there's no time in January you can hide from the NFL. But what if this game, instead of being on Monday, was on Thursday? If the championship game was on Thursday, the NFL's not playing any playoff games on Thursday. It gives them a couple of days where the NFL, after they they made the playoffs or didn't make the playoffs, 
and then Monday is about who got fired or who didn't get fired, it gives you a little bit of time there to breathe and to maybe talk a little bit more about the college championship game. And I'm sure somebody would say, oh, well, it's bad for uh, academic calendars for the two schools. There's got to be a way to make it work, okay? If, if college basketball can be on the road for uh, weeks at a time during the season, there's got to be a way with the school's academic calendars that they can remotely learn for the first week or something. I feel like a Thursday night would be about the best you could do. I don't think Monday works very well for what this sports championship should be. But for this year, that's what it is, and we'll obviously talk about it coming up on Monday. So with regards to the quarterback market, the single biggest surprise to me by a mile is what has happened or has not happened with Malachi Nelson. Remember, this is someone who was literally rated by the folks at ESPN and others as the number one recruit, not the number one quarterback, the number one recruit in the country last year. This isn't some dude who flamed out that we've forgotten about. This was a guy that on signing day one year ago was supposed to be the premier prize maybe in the entire sport. When Lincoln Riley took the job with the Trojans, a huge part of the hook for that was the idea, oh, wow, they're going to get Malachi Nelson because Nelson had committed to go with Riley to Oklahoma. But now as a Southern California kid, of course he's going to go with the Trojans. Perfect fit. Dream come true. And then he's transferring. After one year, he's transferring. And remember, he was transferring, and they were looking for Will Howard to come in and be the guy. It was clear that whatever Lincoln Riley had wanted to see from Malachi Nelson in the first year, it hadn't been enough that he was comfortable with the idea that Malachi Nelson was ready to be the next starting quarterback for the Trojans. So he's out there trying to reel in Will Howard, and then, of course, the Buckeyes get involved and wind up landing him. And we'll see what they wind up doing with the quarterback spot with the Trojans, the guy who started and played well in the bowl game. Who knows? He might be the guy. Maybe they don't get a big-time transfer after all. But it was clear that for whatever reason, Malachi Nelson had not been the guy in 2023 that people anticipated him being. And so then you'd have a nice smooth handoff from uh, Caleb Williams to two years or three years of Malachi Nelson as the Trojans' starting quarterback. And so he hits the transfer portal, and some of the spots that he's being listed for aren't what you'd expect. You would think, okay, number one player in the country, anybody who needs a quarterback of the Power Five is going to be in on this guy. And that wasn't what the list looked like. Yeah, you had some Power Five programs mentioned, but a place like a South Carolina, for example, was mentioned because they're looking for a quarterback, but they weren't mentioned as he would necessarily be the guy they're going to go grab as their starter. They would be more, hey, you can come in and compete. We got a young guy too, but you could come in and compete. But it wasn't anybody saying, oh, throw the starting job at this guy. We got to have him. And now, according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, this weekend, Malachi Nelson is visiting and is expected to likely choose, as long as things don't go sideways, Boise State. Boise State. Not even a Power 5, or I guess we're talking Power 4 now, not even a Power 4 program. Boise State, with a guy who was supposedly the number one player in the country one year later, and again, as far as we know, no no off-field issues or anything like that that would explain that kind of fall. That's just wild. Uh, the, the claim here, according to him, is that 
Uh, Nelson is looking for a blue-collar program to blend in and prove himself, and that his attraction to Boise stems from the opportunity to grow with a strong program that includes 18 returning starters and four starting offensive linemen and a star running back, and that he's got a long-standing relationship with their OC. And, hey, if that's true, great. Congratulations, man. I'm not anti a kid going to a place like that. But how is that even possible in the world where you've got folks, it seems like, lined up to throw six figures at anybody in the transfer portal that has any kind of shiny thing quality to it? How is it remotely possible that that Boise State is the best-looking prospect for a guy like that one year later? I, I really am curious to see how this goes. And, of course, then there's the other side of that coin, which is let's say he goes to Boise State and he does big things. Remember, he redshirted this year. You could transfer again. So if he goes to Boise State and has a really big year as a starter or a couple of big years as a starter at Boise State, then maybe he hits the portal again. And and then at that point, the hype meter is pegged for him to where you would have thought it would be now. But in the meantime, that could be fascinating because that is Boise State has had first round picks come through there. It's not that Boise State has not had high level players. They had a running back go first round, linebacker go first round. They have had some excellent players, even by NFL standards, through there. But those were guys that they found and they developed. They were not guys who were were five star talents that said, "Let me go to Boise State." And this would be really unprecedented. And I am mighty, mighty curious to see how it works out. If in fact that does turn out to be what happens. Uh, We, of course, have a lot of different stuff going on with regards to college football and and kids who's in, who's out. Uh, We're done with the portal in the short term for guys getting into the portal now. Uh, You had a little bit of an extended time if you played in bowls that were later in the process, but we're we're done with guys in the short term getting into the portal, but there's still a ton of guys to get out of the portal. Now the big thing here over the next few days is going to continue to be who's going to the draft, who's sticking around in the case of uh, for example, Georgia today, they found out that their nose tackle is going to stay put. That's a big deal for them. Ohio State's holding on to one of their key defensive linemen. That's a big deal for them. Uh, the exodus continues from a lot of places, including Alabama, to the draft. So uh, now it, it's more about that over these next seven days or so. Who's going to decide that their future is with the pros? Who is still basically saying, hey, NIL, can you make it worth my while? If you can, I'm willing to stick around because I'm here, I'm a third or fourth round pick. Can you make it worth my while? If you're anybody who's on a collective's fundraising list, you're going to be getting some emails coming up this weekend, I would suspect. Now, the winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car-buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. 
And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout metro atlanta jim ellis automotive where you can always expect the best for college football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today chuck oliver show continuing on he's brian in for chuck today and of course keeping an eye on everything that's going on around college football I'm going to head over to Auburn because we have not had a chance to check in since the bowl game with what went down with the Tigers. And, of course, there's some busy stuff happening in the portal with them as well. Brian Stoltz covering it all for AuburnSports.com. That's a rival's property, and he joins us now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Ah, Doing great. Let, let's start with that bowl game. Look, yeah, they're all exhibitions except for a couple, mm-hmm. and, and so certainly you're not going to draw giant conclusions from any one team's performance, but – especially with Maryland not having their starting quarterback. I think maybe some people were a little taken aback by how Auburn looked in that bowl game. What, what if anything, did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, they, they got punched in the mouth and couldn't respond. I mean, Maryland came out, scored a touchdown really quickly, and then Auburn went three and out two times in a row. And before you knew it, it was 21 nothing, and Auburn just couldn't answer. And uh, there was no passion. There was no enthusiasm from the Auburn team or sideline. And it was, it was strange to see because uh, that could have been a – good boost for uh, the offseason to get some momentum but uh you know like you said uh maryland didn't have their starting quarterback but their their other quarterbacks played pretty well and uh um yeah they just uh, punched them in auburn in the mouth and auburn did not get off the mat it, it was reported that auburn after that had tried to get involved with cam ward who was a possible transfer from washington state he decided to go pro instead and so i'm curious is it a case where you look at Peyton Thorne, you look at the full body of work, Freeze had made some comments, indicated, hey, maybe he would be comfortable going forward with him for another year, but maybe mm-hmm. after the bowl you reassess. Is is it still believed Auburn gets into the market for a quarterback at this point? I mean, they certainly would if the right guy comes open. I, I mean, he was uh, – they were interested in Cam Ward, but unfortunately he went to pros. I mean, all – all the power to him if he can make a career that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if the right guy comes open and is much better than uh, Peyton Thorne, uh, I know that Freeze is a big fan of Hank Brown and with the incoming freshman Walker White. And the quarterback job, you know, it's not it's not Peyton Thorne's anymore. It's wide open, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Thorne can uh, kind of respond after a, you know a mediocre season. I mean, he got better as the season went along, and he had to stick over a game against Maryland, but. Uh, We'll see if he can respond, but yeah, I mean, in nowadays, I mean, anything is open. You know, these kids are uh, looking for their best spot, best spot for them and the uh, best money they can get. And uh, if the right guy comes open, absolutely, uh, they'll jump on it and try uh, to win with him. One thing that happened right after the Cam Ward news was that then Caden Salter from Liberty put his name in the portal. Obviously, there's a connection there that exists with him and Hugh Freeze from Liberty in the past. So. Is there a possibility that two and two adds up to four there? 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, Solker has proven to be a uh, productive quarterback. And like you said, he played under uh, uh, Freeze at uh, Liberty. And, you know, they do have the connection and keeping uh, Ken Austin, who was the co-office coordinator, uh, and might be the co-offensive coordinator next year, Montgomery is let go, um, would be huge because they have already have that rapport and stuff like that. So if they can get Salter, that would be a pretty good, big get, and I would uh, kind of see that uh, uh, Peyton would be um, pushed to the side. You mentioned the idea Montgomery might let, get let go. We've obviously seen some moves around the SEC this week. Where do we stand with the possibility of Auburn making some moves? Yeah, I think they. I think the moves will come soon. I think uh, is the writing's on the wall for Philip Montgomery. I think uh, after the offense really struggled the first six games, especially the, during that four-game losing streak, you kind of uh, uh, stopped letting him have full control and kind of put his foot down and said, "Hey, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it." And I think uh, you know that's what Freeze needs to do. I mean, he, he made his name as a play caller, as an offensive uh, mind, and uh, I think he was frustrated with uh, Montgomery and they, their lingo didn't get the, uh, wasn't the same, and it was just frustrating for uh, Coach Freeze because uh, it's, it's the first time he's never called plays for himself, and uh, that was kind of odd. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Montgomery will be gone. I think uh, what will happen is Q, uh, Freeze will take over full. Uh, play calling duties, but have uh, Ken Austin, who served as co-offensive coordinator at Liberty, as as just that this next year. Brian Stoltz with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show from AuburnSports.com. Brian, I, with regards to Freeze, you mentioned he was kind of publicly melancholy about the fact he wasn't calling the plays. It seemed to really bother him. I think a lot of us, when they hired him, kind of felt like, hey, Freeze is walking into an SEC where mm-hmm. he's coming off a lot of success at Liberty and where the climate has changed to where if there was any kind of stigma from how things went at Ole Miss, it's almost removed now because yeah. a lot of that behavior is, is above board for everybody. <laughs> so I think a lot of us kind of felt like Hugh Freeze would be strutting into this conference. It seems like he's been publicly just not comfortable with where things are sometimes about the sport. It's It's been really odd what his public presence has been compared to what I think a lot of us might have thought it would but you're there every day am, am i imagining this no you're not i mean he's frustrated with uh a lot of things the nil transfer portal is non-stop for him uh and uh it, it, it's, it's not the job he thought it was when he got here uh will he win here probably but right now it's been such fr- such a frustration to get this program to where he thinks it should be uh due to you know lack of recruiting from previous uh, regimes and things like that that uh yeah there are problems but you know he he's bound to win here and like you said he he wasn't calling plays uh he wasn't happy about that that was his decision because he wanted to spend a lot of time recruiting that paid off handsomely with one of the top best classes offered signed in a long time and you know uh with everything else but yeah i mean he, he even admitted he didn't do a good job this year uh he admitted that after the the bowl game he he did not do a good job he made mistakes, including maybe taking the play calling out of his hands. And, uh, yeah, he's been very transparent about everything. He's been transparent about their lack of success in the transfer portal and things like that. So, uh, yeah, he's frustrated. I think every coach is frustrated with where this game is heading and uh, what it's like now. So, um, But, yeah, that's not imagined by you or anybody else. One thing that I know he's still trying to do, it's getting all kinds of attention. It's not out of the portal, too. This is an actual old-time high school brawl for a recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Williams, obviously Bama recently lost their wide receiver coach to Texas A&M. Where do things stand for Auburn trying to land him? 
Yeah, that's going to go down to the very last minute of February. I, I think Auburn has a very good chance of landing him. I've heard some good news, uh, good things about uh, Ryan Williams coming to Auburn. Uh, will Bama ever give up? Heck no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to Auburn and Alabama, as it should for an Alabama kid. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that Auburn shot it grabbing Ryan Williams and having – most likely, likely, likely the best wide receiver class, if not already, this this signing period, but uh, for a long time, uh, is, is is good. So uh, that would be a game changer. They already have game changing wide receivers who are coming in: Cam Coleman, Perry Thompson, Malcolm Malcolm Simmons. But if they can get Ryan Williams, I mean, I've heard you compare him to Bush. So uh, you know, if you can get a player like that, that's program changing. Yeah, there's no doubt that that would be a huge difference. I'm curious, is it just as simple? I mean, look, freshmen sometimes can come in at receiver and make that immediate impact. Uh, is it just as simple, regardless of who's calling the plays, just fine-tune the talent, get a boost of athleticism at receiver that wasn't there, and that solves whatever the issues were this year, or do they need more than that? Oh, they need more than that. They need an offensive line. Their defensive line is really thin right now. That's a huge priority for them in the transfer portal. Uh, they've had kids come in. The last two days since the portal closed, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, those wide receivers aren't going to fix everything, but they will help this offense. I mean, you look at the wide receivers currently on the roster. There's not one of them besides Rivaldo Fairweather who is better than these kids coming in, and who have the explosive playmaking abilities of these players coming in. So they're going to be counted on from the very first day, and they better step up and get in the fire because they're going to be thrown into it. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this goes. And I I guess you could argue that Auburn kind of got the full freeze experience there at the end of the year. You have the the inexplicable loss at home to New Mexico State, who, yes, they were a good team, but still to not just beat Auburn, but but dominate Auburn at home should never happen. Then you come fourth and 31 to beating Bama, but also because of fourth and 31, just a mystifying call, coaching kind of still in the focus, even though you almost got them. And then, obviously, we talked about the bowl game. So what do you make of Hugh Freeze after year one? As just a coach, forget about the, the talent, just just X and O coach in this conference, what do you make of him? I mean, I know him personally. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with him, and I know that he's frustrated. He's admitted that he's not done a good job. And that's what you take out of this year is because they had a chance to win eight, nine games, and he just didn't get it done. And maybe some of it was assistance, maybe, maybe, but it falls on him. Everything falls back on him. And, um, you know, he, he, he wants to get better. He wants to win his way, and that's what uh, he needs to do, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, I think that's what he's going to do. But my opinion of him, yeah, I think he did less than mediocre this year. I mean, he could have done much better with what – he had, but at the same time, he walked into a dumpster fire of a program and basically spent most of his time not coaching, but trying to build that roster into what he wants it to be. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes from here, that's for sure. Brian Stoltz will be covering it all for AuburnSports.com. Brian, appreciate you making some time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Absolutely. Anytime, buddy. Thanks. So there you go. There's the perspective from Auburn. I mean, Freeze is just a fascinating story because you look at it, they gave Georgia a game. They they made life interesting for Georgia, too. Like, in any game, you feel like that guy could come up with something, could get his guys motivated and ready where they could do something really big. But at the same time, finding that week-in, week-out consistency of performance, clear game plan that works from the beginning and an ability to quickly adjust if it doesn't, 
that's not something that necessarily has been demonstrated yet. And we all understand how challenging being at Auburn is when you look at what the team is you share a state with, when you look at what your next closest team geographically that you're dealing with for recruiting is Georgia. Uh, It's always going to be a challenging job for everybody, and Freeze is probably as well-suited to try and do the job as anyone they could have hired. But at the same time, boy, there's... There's giant expectations, and and I'm not sure that a guy like Brian Harson, for example, ever came close to figuring out how to meet those expectations. Freeze knows what they are, but can you meet them? That's going to be really intriguing in 2024 to see what that looks like. Everybody knew there was going to be a build because of how badly Harson had run everything for the two years, not even full two years that he was there. But with the portal and everything, you don't you don't get time for a build now. One year to figure out what you have and what you don't have then go and buy whatever you need and start winning. And that's the expectation. We'll see whether or not he can live up to that. Coming up, the single dumbest idea I've heard all week. It's one thing if you say it during the game. It's another for somebody to write a serious column about it three days later. And that's where we are. A terrible idea that should never happen. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. And when you play a no-huddle team and you're not going fast, which we didn't go fast uh, enough, then their signal caller is basically making calls to defend the formation and the alignment that you're in. They're the only team that we played all season that got in the huddle. This is the voice of Nick Saban yesterday talking to ESPN and talking about specifically what, as he looks back on things, he maybe has taken out of how they wound up losing that game. And there is at least something to that idea that maybe Michigan got the game on their terms and dictated it. It was pointed out earlier today that one of the other games that Alabama has lost in recent years, one of the slower playing teams in Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher has given Alabama some trouble compared to what they've done against other teams. So uh, maybe that's something that you focus on and you try to figure out a way to improve. In the end, obviously, uh, next year's team will be different. All the circumstances around everything will be different. So maybe next year they won't be vulnerable there. But you know that after a loss like that, as Saban is going to take a look at every piece, and it was interesting at least, that was kind of his first post-film review, post-evaluation comments as to how he thinks maybe some things played out that way. I continue to be totally mystified why they kept going to an empty backfield against a defense that was absolutely destroying them in that situation. And Michigan and what they do with the Blitz is a big deal. In fact, more on that coming up in just a second. First, though, I need to tell you about what matters to me today, and that, of course, is brought to you by the folks at thisstuffmatters.com. Look, The Rose Bowl is a beautiful setting for college football. We can always acknowledge that. It's pretty. Understood. However, that does not mean, just because it is pretty, that it is the only thing that matters in college football. And there are people who genuinely still are making this case. For Kirk Herbstreet to say it during the game, I like Kirk. 
I think he does a good job overall. But for him to say that during the game while he's in the moment at the stadium and he's got a big relationship with those people and enjoys calling the game, and so he's, oh, this is all beautiful. These people should get to do it every year. Uh, that's that's fine, whatever. I, maybe he truly believes it. Maybe he's caught up in the moment. Maybe he's just being polite. You know, like when you're having dinner and, you know, you're, you're – your wife's mother-in-law or your your wife's mother's made it, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're so much better than my mom. Oh, this is great food. Oh, love it, love it. Sometimes you just have to say things, be polite in the, in the moment. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But no, now you got Chris Vanini for The Athletic and The New York Times writing about how it should, not not maybe should, should. The Rose Bowl should host the championship every year. The only question is, why is it not going post the championship every year? But it should. Well, let's see if we can come up with some examples of why perhaps the Rose Bowl should not host the championship every year. Could it be that, for example, it is, quote, not the best stadium? That would be a good reason. You know who says it's not the best stadium? Chris Vanini. The guy who's writing the column telling us about how it should host it every year is literally saying, yeah, it's not the best stadium, but so pretty. Look, there's history there. There's been some great games there. You want to go to a game there? Go to the Rose Bowl any given year. Go to a UCLA home game. There's loads of seats available almost all the time. There's ways to go to the Rose Bowl. But the idea that people in the regions of the country where – you actually have college football that consistently is good should be obligated to fly out west every single year forever to go to the Rose Bowl because it's pretty that is jaw-droppingly stupid think about what we're talking about with the playoff now the expanded playoff you're going to have a fan base that gets to host a game in the case of four schools and four schools that are asked to travel to that game and because the four schools that are hosting are not going to be based on a geographic convenience, you might very well, if you're a fan of one of those four teams that is not getting to host, you might very well be getting asked, if you're a passionate fan and you want to see your team play, to go on the road there to get it down to eight teams, then go on the road another time, then go on the road a third and a fourth time. And we're going to make, for everybody who's not a Trojans fan, or a Bruins fan, we're going to make everybody know they've got to go all the way to the West Coast. It's never going to be drivable. It's never going to be feasible for the vast majority of the schools that are in college football at the highest level. Every single year, you're going to have to tack on a flight after you may have traveled for two or three rounds of this thing. That's preposterous. I'm not telling you you have to put it in Atlanta every single year, but Atlanta is a really logical place to have it because, you know, SEC, while not there this year, tends to have a team that's in the championship. ACC obviously has one in Clemson and another one in FSU that would say, yeah, decent chance we could be there. And even if you're somebody from the Midwest, Atlanta is drivable very easily for some people. You can, in a half day, make your way down from parts of Ohio to Atlanta. Even Michigan to Atlanta, not more than a full day drive. So you want to put it in Atlanta every year, That'd be fine by me, but I don't expect them to do that. I expect them to move it around. So Indianapolis, the Midwest gets to host some of the time. That makes sense. It's a good event city. It's hosted a Super Bowl before. It hosts the Big Ten title game regularly. That makes a lot of sense. And again, not hard to get from the south 
or the Midwest to Indianapolis. Houston, we'll see how they do with this. But again, for Texas, for parts of the South, it makes sense. L.A. makes no sense. Zero. And the idea that you should put it there every single year, even as you're acknowledging, yeah, it's hard to park. Yeah, the stadium's not great, but oh, so pretty. That is spectacularly dumb. And I hope this bad idea will die on the vine because the fact that people are still arguing for it uh, this far later in the process, I, I don't get that at all. A couple minutes left, and again, we want to make sure that we tell you that that is what matters to me today. It's brought to you by thisstuffmatters.net. Again, uh, next week, we'll get you ready for the game, spend more time on it, I'm sure, with Chuck on Monday. But one thing to just keep in mind from this past week's games and how it might apply to this week, Michigan against Alabama blitzed 11 times in that game. Five sacks on 11 blitzes. Now, again, part of that was because they were blitzing when Alabama was inexplicably choosing to go empty backfield and kept getting destroyed. But still, on the 11 blitzes, five sacks. As for the other six plays, Milrose still was not able to do much with the ball when he did get it off against the blitz. Five of six, but for only 32 yards against the blitz. For the year, Jalen Milrow's sack rate against the Blitz was 19.1%. If you brought the Blitz against Milrow, there was a really good chance you might get him on the ground, although that had improved in the last five games before the playoff. Michael Penix's sack rate against the Blitz, 3.1%. That's a big difference. Is Michigan going to Blitz as often? If they do... There's a really good chance, based on that number, that Penix can make them pay in a way that Milrow was never able to do this past week. So that's one stat I would just say keep your eye on, that blitz success rate. One other thing to keep in mind, very rarely this year, the Washington see two tight end teams. When they do see two tight ends against Michigan, how do they defend it? What does it look like? That's going to be interesting stuff. Doesn't mean they can't defend it, but it's going to be really interesting to see what it looks like when they do see it because they haven't seen much two tight end this year. Just a couple of notes to think about for the weekend. Enjoy that weekend. We will be back here with you talking some college football again, presumably with Chuck in the big chair on Monday. David Holloway produced this program. Thanks to him for doing that. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time here on the Chuck Oliver Show. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. 
And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.